0: Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me once again, very much in the throes of the episodes we are watching this week because holy crap does some stuff happen, it is my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how the heck are you doing today? I'm doing very well
1: and very relieved we can finally talk about these episodes because as, as a peek behind the curtain for folks, I, I mentioned to Jeremy before this, we started this recording, Like I've been sat on my hands for like a little while because I watched these episodes before before you did and I've been dying to like text you or like... Tell you something about one of these episodes in particular, but I didn't, I didn't want to sully the experience of of watching (laughs) it without any spoilers. So yeah, this, we can finally, we can finally let loose and talk about
0: this stuff. Indeed, and another little peek behind the curtain, because we should address this now, Andy. Today, we are going to be talking about Season 3, Episodes 6 to 8. Now, on our previous podcast, the Mammoth Five Faces of Darkness podcast, if you've not listened to that yet, folks, it's a heck of a long one, but we had a great time doing it. We said we were going to be covering four episodes today. Some life-scheduling malarque has sort of thrown a spanner in the works of that. Nothing bad, just change your schedules and such. So we've switched the podcast to a fortnightly release format for a little while, and in turn we decided to cover three episodes each time for now, just until we sort of get the flow going again, if you will. So today we will be talking about episodes six to eight, that being The Killing Jar, Chaos, and Dark Awakening. We'll be getting onto those episodes in just a couple of moments, everybody. But before we get to that little bit of housekeeping, if you are tuning into the podcast for the first time, thank you very much, first of all, for checking us out. You can find us in audio-only form on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you want to watch us talk about these episodes, there is a video version on YouTube. If you search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find us just fine. Speaking of YouTube, the episodes that we are watching and the ordering of said episodes is dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is a 100% legitimate way to watch the Transformers Generation 1 cartoon, and as such, the episode ordering on that is what we are following. Which, as we'll get on to, Andy, may once again have come to scupper us a little bit in one of these episodes. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, or teasers mercilessly, if, if if you prefer. But definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely a very notable,
0: like, wait, that isn't, that isn't what happens next. But uh, yeah, we will get to that. Indeed. But before we get to that, Andy, we need to sort of wrap up some discussion from our last podcast, because... In the actual recording, folks, we were near the three-hour mark, as it were, (laughs) but I know the the very final podcast was around the two-hour-forty-five mark. We've been recording for a long time, so we decided that we would begin this episode of the podcast with some trivia notes about the Five Faces of Darkness episodes, just to tie up any loose ends on discussion for that big five-parter story. And uh, Andy, I suppose, there's a little sort of random note relating to this. At the time we're recording this, we've had a few weeks to sort of perhaps process what occurred on Five Faces of Darkness and us having talked about it. Any other additional thoughts regarding that five-parter that's come to light since in your brain?
1: No, not really. I mean, the, the main thing more kind of like ties into the episodes we're talking about in this instalment where it's like, oh, these don't look terrible animation-wise in comparison. It kind of made me relieved and also kind of realized like just how ropey those particular episodes looked i mean i know we talked on that podcast about how production duties were kind of farmed out and that it wasn't all acom stuff and they had other studios that kind of you know episodes got outsourced to i suspect the episodes we're talking about today were all largely or wholly outsourced
0: because they didn't look terrible basically (laughs) Yeah, so when it comes to some trivia notes, we're not going to do a massive amount, as it were, but just a few notes which may uh, just be of interest. So, first of all, Andy, in episode one of Five Faces of Darkness, Sparkplug Wiki is mentioned in the Sumbo cast list for the episode. And per the TF wiki where I am reading this from... In the relevant dialogue script for this episode, it reveals that he was supposed to make an actual appearance in the episode. He would have been with Outback and Blaster aboard the EDC shuttle to investigate reports of Decepticon activity in Carbombia. His one line, quote, How are we going to find the Decepticons? It's like a needle in a haystack, end quote, was reassigned to Blaster for the final cut of the episode. So one thing we do know, Andy, Sparkplug is still alive, allegedly
1: that's good good to know because yeah he is he is conspicuous by his
0: absence in like both the film and and those episodes so so jumping forward andy to episode three where i do feel there are some sort fairly interesting notes to, to make mention of here In an outwardly bizarre sequence, when the Autobots land on the planet Goo, Judge Deliberata appears only as his face of death. When he is plucked out of the goo and dropped back in by cup, it is as if his face has somehow fallen off the Quintesson's body, before reappearing intact later in the episode. As with a few other beats in Five Faces of Darkness, this doesn't appear to have been a totally random error, but rather was likely based on the depiction of the Quintessons in an early draft of Transformers the movie. The draft presented them as being bipedal creatures with detachable heads, so this scene of a detachable face appears to have been utilised from that original thought. Yeah, I mean, I know that's
1: uh, one of the, the notes around Season 3 in general is that they often used outdated uh, design sheets for, for characters, so that that definitely scans.
0: In an early story outline for this episode, it included Shockwave in the cast, before an internal Sunbow memo clarified that the character had been dropped, quote-unquote, and needed to be replaced, quote with either a continuing or new character from The Binder, quote. The outline later surfaced on the internet, revealing Shockwave's planned role in the episode. He was intended to be the one Decepticon who was sceptical of the Quintessons, as he was apparently an ancient Decepticon and has vague memories of the Quintessons, but can't recall the details because of too many uploads and downloads in the intervening time. Based on this it seems clear that the character was replaced with Blitzwing, who fulfills the sceptic role for reasons not explained in this episode. That is fascinating to me. Yeah, and it does, because it is really random. Like,
1: I, I, we may even have mentioned it at the time, like, why Blitzwing? Like, of all the characters to be the, the sort of the doubting one. And yeah, R- Shockwave and that whole storyline would have made way more sense. But uh, but yeah, poor, poor Shockwave, no, no longer required as a toy, and
0: thus killed off effectively. <laughs> so a couple of script notes relating to this. In the original script for episode three, Flint Dilly announced his intent to, quote elevate blur from a one-note character to a two-note character, quote, Uh, by introducing the idea that when he was in combat or under extreme stress, he would suddenly become extremely calm, and his speech would slow to normal levels. The episode was evidently recorded and animated with this idea intact, but then the concept was dropped and the dialogue re-recorded to remove it. Blur's lip flaps, as he suggests to Wheelie, that they should try to lose Galvatron around Jupiter, are noticeably slower than his words. And Wheelie's dialogue, which was initially a surprised reaction to Blur's new slowed down attitude, is not provided by Frank Welker, who was evidently unavailable for the retake. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Blur slowing down now. I, I really can't picture that at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I wish I wish there was some version of that that we could see, because I'm definitely curious as well.
0: <laughs> Another idea that didn't survive from the script to the finish episode is the crash landing on IO was to have rattled Wheelie's systems, leaving him talking not in rhyme, but in an overly verbose technical manner compared, to, uh, compared by Blur to Perceptor. Again, the episode appears to have been recorded and animated with this idea intact, but re-recorded with new dialogue by the same awful-sounding Welker stand-in to restore the rhymes. (laughs) The gag was to continue into the start of the next episode, where it would have been paid off by Blur giving Wheelie a good shake until something went clunk inside him, and his regular speech patterns would have returned. But this scene was deleted entirely. Does this make you happy or sad, Andy, you did not get to encounter this version of Wheelie? Yeah,
1: I feel like I might have preferred that version of Wheelie, so I, I kind of <laughs> wish I could have seen it, but I'll just, I'll just
0: have to imagine for myself. As we move on to episode four, the original video cassette release of this episode featured some audio edits to the final scene. This one may hurt you, Andy. All of Cosmos's lines were missing. <laughs> as were the fake pilots claim their quote-unquote engines have just gone critical, and the Quintesson declaration that their decoy worked and that Cybertron is helpless. The Kid Rhino DVD, which was the US release for reference, of this episode restores all of those missing lines, but they are once again missing on the subsequent US Shout Factory releases. Hmm, weird. It does always fascinate me how there are random things that occur like that between different releases. I mean, in sort of our past professional endeavours as it were we're used to things happening like that when it comes to different materials that may or may not be available but you would think for something like that it would have been a bit more consistent
1: yeah yeah i mean it is it is weird but at the same time like especially like from this sort of era like you know there are a lot of materials that were not exactly well stored and documented i mean you know you look at, at, at various like anime releases like stuff from the 80s there is stuff in vaults that people just happen across because they're not kind of noted down properly or anything. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that is either missing or just like in some random box somewhere and unlabeled. So yeah, I imagine getting the, the same, even getting the same materials between releases probably
0: doesn't always happen. And when it comes to Episode 5, I'm just going to mention one note for this, Andy, because we mentioned it at the time we were talking about the episode. This episode is the last appearance of the Volcano, Autobot Headquarters, and Teletran 1. Now, there is something more to mention of that as we get later into the season, which I can see on the note here, but I'm not going to mention it now. For for spoiler purposes. Yeah, yeah, we will definitely get to that in a future episode. <laughs> so from there, Andy, I think it's time we get on to the first episode we are talking about today. This being season three, episode six, The Killing Jar.
1: Yeah, which also, like, there's also the name of a 2010 movie and a Susie and the Banshees song. So, I'm again, I'm going to ev- invoke that these were both inspired by this episode of The Transformers, because that's <laughs> definitely how that happened.
0: Out of interest, have
1: you seen that, that film you mentioned, The Killing Jar? Do you remember what the plot was about? I have not, but it is, from what I looked up of it, it is nothing like this episode of Transformers. <laughs> You'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> so.
0: I mean, in some ways, I'm glad, Because if if this had been adapted into a real-life movie, that would have been an interesting thing. You are about to find out why, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could probably have adapted,
1: like, what happens here into, like, a, a whole series of movies, because there are a lot of things that happen in this episode.
0: We begin with Ultra Magnus saying, quote... The stars seem so peaceful from a distance, but up close, they're troubled. And he is saying this while looking through a telescope into space with a clear visual of Unicron's head floating in the orbit of Cybertron. But all is not as it seems, as we see a ship approaching Unicron's head. Inside, we come to learn it is the Quintesson Scientist, or a Quintesson Scientist, I should say, and an Alicon guard having hacked into Cybertron and are spying on Ultra Magnus. As Ultra Magnus stargazes, he's being spied on by the Quintesson scientist. Disguising their ship as Skylinks, they manage to enter the ship's Mirage sequence, as it's referred to in the show, and the pair lure Magnus on board, saying in Sky voice the following. Rodimus Prime wants you to report to the EDC Command Center. Magnus responds, is it an emergency? And the fake Skylinks responds with, "It must be important; otherwise, they would they would not have wasted my precious time." Get on board. Seems like a very Skylinks thing to say as well. You got to give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> After taking off, the Mirage sequence is ended, and the scientist says they are going to test his reaction to betrayal by having the one he trusts the most attack him. We then see Magnus being attacked by a fake Rodimus Prime, an illusion, more specifically. Think of it as I've tried to phrase it Andy like the the hard light hologram from Red Dwarf when it came to Rimmer. Kind of something along those lines. Yeah,
1: yeah. We've had we've had a few weird like hologram things in Transformers, so you know, this this scans
0: with previous in previous endeavors. The scientist correctly predicts Magnus's actions as the Autobot attempts to restrain his leader without harming him. Something Andy may also be reflected in one of the other episodes we're talking about today the illusion disappears and so does the disguise of where magnus actually is he's basically in a prison and his weapons have zero effect in being able to help him escape with magnus safely imprisoned the scientist sets course for the planet char to acquire their next specimen quote unquote just sort of pause for a second there andy i really like this setup of the episode It's got. uh, If there's one recurring theme in all of these episodes of Transformers we've been talking about, Andy, I love mystery and intrigue. But I also really like the way they somehow keep managing to use Unicron's head as part of it. It's just something really cool about it yeah yeah i mean it turns out like unicron's head is just where all the bad guys
1: hang out now it's just like it's sort of their go-to sort of location of it's like the it's the it's the transformers it's the decepticon equivalent of like the back of the bike shed where you know you go to have a to have a have a crafty smoke without anybody noticing um but yeah i mean this was kind of uh, i i i was having like a, a, an increasing number of exclamation marks written in my notes as we go through here because yeah like ultra magnus gets kidnapped so like okay this is interesting. But then it's not just Ultramagnus who's getting kidnapped here. (laughs)
0: Correct, because when we get to planet Char, we see Cyclonus doing some form of aerial combat training, which I've got to say, Andy, to add to what you were talking about a couple of minutes ago in these episodes perhaps being outsourced, this animation looked really good for this combat training sequence. Yeah, I mean, this episode overall looks... Pretty good a lot of the time. Like
1: I think it definitely it helped to sell me on this episode in a way that I suspect it wouldn't had it been you know animated less well. Because yeah, this definitely is a big step up and is is probably the best animated of the three episodes we talk about here in 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 return.
0: Upon arrival, the Quintesson scientist ship is disguised once again. This time, and I may need you to correct me here, Andy, because I tried to research this via the TF Wiki and I'm still a bit more confused now. This time, according to the Wiki as Broadside, who is not name-checked, but upon my research, I just thought, isn't this an Autobot? Question mark? Yeah, yeah, because I thought... Because
1: Broadside is one of the other triple changes, and I thought he was an Autobot, but...
0: Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> not name-checked, so we won't dwell on it, but for argument's sake. And Cyclonus... Accordingly, is lured on board again. The scientist predicts that Cyclonus will behave in a similar manner to what Magnus did when he is confronted by an illusion of his leader, Galvatron. Next up, we go to the planet of junk. Do you see where we're going with this pattern, everybody? Junkion, where Rekgar is enjoying Lippo the Clown's TV show. Andy, and this, I'm going to try and read this with a straight face because this is ridiculous. What happens? Lipo the Clown turns up himself in a spacecraft, the disguised scientist ship, and manages, manages to lure Rek'Gar on board by saying, quote, come inside Rek'Gar and say hello to the studio audience, quote. The fact that Rek'Gar didn't suspect in any way, shape or form that something was up with this, to me, is incredibly dumb. You see...
1: I can totally buy into that. Like, if any, if anybody is going to fall for that, like, hey, do you want to be on TV? It's going to be Rettgar. And I, I I love how stupid this whole thing is because it's also, like, <laughs> this is incredibly stupid, but also, yep, this is exactly what would happen. I have no doubt that if you dressed up in a clown outfit and told Retgar he was going to be on TV, he'd be like, yeah, cool, where, where do I go? Where do I sign up?
0: <laughs> I don't doubt that either, but it was part of me, it's just like... You were just watching his TV show. Why would he suddenly appear behind you on the planet yeah. Junkion?
1: <laughs> yeah, for, for for sure. And it's it's also it's such a it's such a kind of like a, a schism and and a shift from like the whole Ultra Magnus Rodimus Prime thing, which is relatively kind of serious and and with a straight face. And we almost immediately go from that to yeah, like some weird clown thing. And it's like okay, cool. This this episode is already going places.
0: Obviously, it is soon revealed to be the Quintesson ship. The Quintesson scientist predicting that placing a Junkion in a clean, uncluttered room will cause him to go, let's say, a bit insane. Think of it that way. Instead, Andy, what I thought was amazing in this instance, was guard proceeds to tear up the walls, floors, anything that's not nailed down pretty much, or in this case, was nailed down, and basically just make it be from completely bare surroundings. To just like a a junk. To which he literally goes, Ah, home sweet home.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I I th- I think this is why I love everything about this whole bit with Rettgar, because yeah, it's just like, ah, yeah, just gonna just gonna make myself like a, a seat of junk and yeah, this like this all scans. This is very much Rhettgar's <laughs> thing.
0: Next up, which in and of itself, Andy, I still have questions about what <laughs> happens here. Disguised as an EDC shuttle, the Earth Defense Command, the Quintesson ship docks on the EDC space station with nobody suspecting anything is up at all and Marissa Fairbourne is lured on board the ship by an illusion of her father, who, to be fair, she is genuinely excited to see because it felt like a surprise visit. Obviously, that feeling of excitement quickly changes when the ship's doors close behind her. Quote unquote, humans are disgusting creatures, but worthy of study, if just to find a way of better destroying them, says the Quintesson scientist. Man, Andy, does that statement in some ways (laughs) ring true to real life? (laughs) Once the ship leaves the space station, Marissa is shocked when her father's face changes into the Quintesson death face, as it's noted by the TF Wiki she strikes the illusion with a kick and a judo chop, Austin Powers style, right to the back, saying I, I, I'm i going to try and do the accent Andy, I'm not going to do it justice, but I don't know who you are, but you are not my father. <laughs> Just, that, it hurts to do that. In her, incredibly, in her incredibly stereotypical English accent as I actually did write down. Then it disappears. The Quintesson scientist observes that quote, violence is always the human's way of solving problems, end quote. Especially when you try and kidnap them, as it
1: turns <laughs> out. It's like, maybe a little slightly biased experiment. Like, I'm sure if you just landed and, like, just offered her a nice ice cream or something, would probably have had a different outcome.
0: But, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm no
1: quintessence scientist, so, you know, I defer to the experts.
0: Confirmed! No scientist! <laughs> Finally, the bars on Marissa's cell appear, and all four prisoners are now able to communicate with each other. Just to pause there for a second, Andy, because we've obviously now had the wreck bit, and now we've had the EDC bit. Again, the mystery and intrigue of this, what the heck is going on? Capturing four different elements, as it were. Well, technically, two Autobots, a human and a Decepticon, but still, what the heck is going to happen here? I'm, I'm really liking the pacing, the way this is being built. I'm really, really liking the episode right now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's really good, and, you know, it, it has the right blend of kind
1: of, like, fun, a little bit more serious, and like you say, it has the mystery angle. I mean, I did think, given what we know about what the Quintessons want, like, they should have... Part of me was was wondering, is this episode? Are they just going to carry on and just like kidnap every Autobot and Decepticon one by one until they've got all of them, and then they, then they can go and flip that switch on Cybertron again, <laughs> and then the problem's solved? Because it's like it seems like they're incredibly good at fooling and kidnapping Transformers. So maybe they should have just stuck with that plan until they had all of them.
0: But uh, but no, there is plenty plenty more for them to do as it turns <laughs> out. The Quintesson scientist then visits the prison cell area of the ship, instructing his guard to activate Marissa's cell's submission field device, which is a beam of light that pins her to the floor. As the pair move in, Rekgar... this is a weird way to put it, Sandy, but I'm just gonna say it. Rekgar fires his fist deactivating the field, allowing Marissa to attack the Quintesson and attempt to free Ultra Magnus. But before she can free him, the room begins crackling with electrical energy. The ship has flown into an electrical storm and suddenly each Transformer in the room is losing control of themselves and because electricity is flying about, Marissa is in danger too. All the captives are being assaulted by the energy, it should be noted. The Quintesson and his guard head to the control room and attempt to steer the ship through the storm. Now, Andy, I'm going to pause here. Did you notice on the animation of the ship trying to fly through the storm what appeared on screen? <laughs> yep, all
1: the, all the cells are labelled. Um, so, yeah, I don't know quite what happened there but clearly the, the, the labels that are normally should be kind of well outside of of the what is photographed of the cells is not um so I as somebody who's a bit of an animation nerd, I kind of freaked out in a good way about that. It's like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I, like, I love likewise. seeing this stuff where you can kind of, you can even see like the loop of, of the frames where it's like a repeating thing. Um, but yeah, that's a pretty major like photography error that somebody made right there. But I I, I,
0: I I enjoyed that. Yeah, from that, like you said, from the point of view of it's a big error, but from uh, just from like a production point of view, it was fascinating to look at. And just yeah. seeing, and just seeing, like, and if you want to go and actually look it up, people, it is worth checking out just because you get to see the sequencing of the storm and how it builds and when the lightning bolts come in. It is genuinely really fascinating to look at. So we do encourage you to do it if you can. Yeah, and it, and
1: it's it's a really cool little bit of animation as well. So, so like, there's some cool kind of cell effects and stuff going on there, which just sort of makes it all the more interesting. But I feel like it also shows just how time crunched these episodes were because there's no way nobody looked at that and was like wait there's a problem here and they must have looked at there's a problem here but we don't have time to fix it so it's fine the kids won't understand what that means so you know we can get away with that um but it is kind of crazy like I can't think of I mean even within this show like all the animation errors we've had I don't think we've ever had that point where you can actually, you know, see all the, like, the labelling on the frames, uh, on the cells. So, yeah, it's kind of, kind of, kind of nuts.
0: And, uh, per our discussion in the last podcast about Five Faces of Darkness, Andy, I think we're going to put this down to Unicron magic. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? So, after a wrong move, the Alakon guard manages to glide the ship out of the storm. Back in the cell area, Magnus grabs hold of the electron bars holding him in in the cell if you will short-circuiting them and all four cells in the process freeing each each and everyone when the scientist and the guard return to the cell area marissa literally jumps on the scientist and wreck attacks the alicon while magnus and cyclonus are fighting over what they're going to do with the ship next magnus saying it's his duty to take it back to cybertron cyclonus saying it's his duty to take both magnus and the ship to galvatron now there's a fun moment here in this fight in this little fight sequence where retgar says sorry shield is in good hands his arm is then knocked off and then he says but arm has fallen out of my 90 day money back guarantee hurry hurry sake is for limited time (laughs) and then he throws his shield at the alicon and then says good as new with these new terms, and puts his arm back on in place. Just a fun little Retgar moment there, which I can't do justice to, but, like you were saying earlier, Andy, appreciating how dumb it was when I was talking about it, Retgar has got some really fun moments in this episode.
1: Yeah, and and again, I mean, as we said, during Five Faces of Darkness, like, kudos to who's whoever's doing the voice work for ret like following up on like what eric Idle does in the movie because like he, he sells it really well and kind of makes it work in 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 terms of delivery um so yeah i'm, I'm always kind of a sucker for like ret stupid tv talk um even it, like that's an occasion where it kind of feels a bit like forced of like oh how do we do a tv thing with this but that just kind of makes it funnier so
0: i'm i'm here for it In the control room, Marissa has been able to get the better of the Quintesson scientist and begins to plot a court, a court, a course, excuse me, back to Earth, but discovers that the ship has fallen into a gravity field of a black hole this point you thought things couldn't get
1: any worse <laughs> which I, and, and that and that's the thing I kind of love about this episode is how it's just like a, a series of unfortunate events because you know you start off with the kidnapping like oh what's going on here and then it it sort of turns into by this point it's like your typical kind of like sci-fi space disaster movie of like you know there's been an electrical storm now we're being pulled into a black hole now this Quintus on is reading the wikipedia entry for a black hole just in case you weren't sure what it is <laughs> um and it's like This is why I was kind of into this episode because, I mean, joking about, like, that 2010 film, it's like, this is kind of a good, like, sci-fi disaster movie at this point, and I was like, I'm kind of a sucker for this, so yeah, like, where is this going? I want to see how this resolves itself.
0: At this point, Marissa interrupts the fighting amongst everyone to let them know they've got bigger problems right now, but while the Alicon Guard activates a distress signal, the Quintesson Scientist slips away to the rear of the ship. Where Andy, there are escape pods located. The others follow him, only to find that most of the pods have been rendered useless by the electrical storm, and only one is remaining operational. After it looks like he is about to get away, Magnus just outright smashes the roof and yanks the Quintesson out from the escape pod. Which I just I think that was one of my favourite Ultra Magnus moments. I'm still sort of getting to grips and dealing with Ultra Magnus as a character. That was just a like, yeah, good. That's what I want to see out of you. Good stuff. Yeah, like I feel it's I
1: feel like that's the first time we've really seen him like just get down to business and not sort of prevaricate
0: about things. It's like, there you go, that's that's what you need to do. However, the launch sequence has already begun when he when he manually ejects the Quintesson out of the ship. There you go, that's one way to put it. Magnus then insists that Marissa uses it, but Cyclonus intends to use it for himself. Rekgar then tackles Cyclonus so that Magnus can help Marissa into the pod, but the Alicon ultimately prevents Magnus from helping Marissa inside. While they're fighting, the pod launches with ultimately no one on board, and a vacuum of space is created in the hangar. Magnus is pulled out as the whole room begins to depressurize. To Magnus's surprise, and I think everyone at this point, Cyclonus saves him with a tractor beam. Magnus saying, Cyclonus, you saved me? But why? And Cyclonus says... Warriors such as you and I should meet their end in battle. I've got to say, Andy, for me, and I've actually got a little bit of goosebumps just saying it now. For me, that was a wonderful moment between Magnus and Cyclonus. And also, I think from a character development standpoint, for the first time since this season began, which I appreciate uh, the way we're watching this, there's only been five episodes in one giant long story. This really established the two roles of these characters and where they are from a relationship relationship standpoint. Excuse me. Yeah, the the, the Ultra
1: Magnus Cyclonus bromance begins here. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm no shipping. I'm no shipping these two characters. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always I'm I'm always a real sucker for the like enemies have to like club together to defeat a common foe kind of thing. Like whatever it is. Um, and I'm also a sucker for the like kind of grudgingly saving your rival because it's like convenient in the moment or whatever of like well I didn't want to save you but I have to because insert excuse here and so yeah that that whole bit was just like because that's as soon as like they got Ultramagnus and Cyclonus together in this episode it's just like yeah this is what I want like I want to see these two complete polar opposite characters have to work together on something and you don't get as much of, the, of it in this episode as I was maybe hoping but this is like the highlight moment of like the two of them have to kind of you know have to club together and begrudgingly be like okay well i guess we'll have to like set our differences
0: aside just now as a quick aside because i'm mildly curious because you've read so many of the comics does this is this a relationship that continues in the comics lore as well or is this more based on what you've seen so far just a series thing yeah, I think this is very much just like
1: a one off kind of like these, these two guys have just happened to be kind of stuck together. Like, I, I, don't, I don't recall there being any other real sort of. The, the the bromance is entirely in my head beyond this point, sadly. <laughs> there, there, is, there is no. I'm sure there's fan fiction, like, but there's nothing canonically in Transformers where Cyclonus and Ultramagnus hook up
0: or anything. So continuing from where we left off, the scientist explodes angrily at everyone for allowing the escape pod to launch with nobody on board. But everyone, quite rightly, I feel, Andy, saying they wouldn't be in this mess at all if they hadn't kidnapped them. I mean, it is a very fair and valid point. It's like, (laughs) don't blame us for this mess. Like, you started it. But during the ensuing discussion, they begin to receive a transmission, and the fact that a spy ship is coming up behind them. Now, although they believe that rescue is imminent, there's confusion over who has potentially picked up the distress signal, with the scientist thinking it's his fellow brothers, i.e. Quintessons. I assume they're all related, Andy. I don't know. We'll find out at some point, maybe. Never. But Magnus thinks it's an Autobot cruiser. Cyclonus thinks it's got to be Decepticons, because who else would travel this far out in the system? And it turns out to merely be a derelict ship, which is dragged into the black hole ahead of them and ends up exploding upon entry. Despite the scientists saying that they should be able to hold their position a little while longer, finally, the Quintesson ship's engines overload, and the ship follows the derelict ship into the black hole only to emerge, Andy, in what the scientist describes as a negative universe, with the colour spectrum drastically altered, it is fair to say.
1: Yeah, I I, I love this visually, like, I'm always kind of a sucker for anything that does this. Like, I've I recently been playing the video game Chicory, which does this exact, it does a very similar thing where there's this kind of, like, Dark world that, that the character gets pulled into and it just like you know flips everything to negative like this doesn't quite do that because it just it basically palette swaps it it feels like when you're playing a fighting game and you can just pick a really weird colour scheme for the characters because you just get weird like palette swapped Ultra Magnus um, but again yeah it's a really nice visual flourish here that sort of it's not just a pure like here's a negative version or here's a black here's the thing in black and white like it's kind of this really interesting color scheme um and again sci-fi stuff I'm a sucker for like dragged into a black hole I'm like yep I want to see what happens when you get dragged into a black hole in transformers and now we find out
0: yeah this was a really really fun thing to see and we'll get into exactly what happens in just a few moments but just that first visual when it happens and it's just that wonderful just that wonderful slap your face moment of oh wow what the heck and in a good way as well because you can bet andy depending on what colors they could have chosen this could have looked up up just really weird but it actually looks so striking and that's what why it works so well
1: yeah yeah it has just the right kind of feel for the whole like negative universe idea but without being lazy about it so yeah i was very much like oh this is
0: really cool so everyone including marissa are appearing as a different color cyclonus says that his internal scanners aren't detecting any sensor malfunctions so it may just be outside forces at work magnus and cyclonus then instruct their hosts the quintesson scientist and the alicon to figure out how to get them back the scientist says if they can enter the white hole at a certain trajectory they should be able to get back While the Quintesson works on a plan to return them to their own universe, the others set about repairing the overloaded engines, because obviously they ain't gonna go anywhere if the engines have just gone kaput based on the last scene. The scientists saying that with some donated parts, they could be made fully functional again. Now, part of me does wonder, Andy. I feel the need to say this. Part of me thinks the Quintesson is like, ah, this is a way to get some Transformers parts back for experimenting. Yeah, I... I did. I did almost hope that there was kind of
1: like an extra layer to this, rather than just the simple like, yeah, we we need spare parts. Which again, one of those things that that's happened multiple times in this series at this point, where people have had to you know give up parts. But yeah, I was I was hoping there was going to be some like nefarious kind of little sting at the end of like, ha ha. Now I have like. Ultra Magnus's finger or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, uh, but, but no, sadly it, it doesn't seem to actually go
0: there. So again, also just plot points in my head. But you know what we do get, Andy, even though we don't get that sting that you just mentioned, we get what I think, it might be the second, but I, I can't honestly think of one off the top of my head. We get a montage at this point. <laughs> we get a montage of them fixing engines. There may have been one really early, in like in really really early in season one like excluding like when the arc crashed into the volcano and we see like a montage of the time aging and whatnot but I think this is our first montage sequence that we get yeah I think this is like the first proper yeah, proper one we get I don't know why I felt that he's put so much focus on that but I have everyone in
1: that I mean it's it's an 80s TV show
0: like it sort of feels important to note when they have a montage <laughs> we, we have montages in the year 2005 people <laughs> think of it that way <laughs> Once repairs are complete, the scientist then makes it known that if they approach at the wrong traje- trajectory, excuse me, they could be torn to pieces. The Quintesson slingshots the ship through the white hole, re-emerging from the black hole with the color palettes restored, into the middle of a battle. Magnus immediately radios for help from uh, from Skylink's, who docks with the ship, and the short-lived truce has now come to an end. Cyclonus and Magnus agree that the next time they meet, it will be as enemies. Cyclonus specifically says that they will be as soldiers on opposing sides, continuing the theme from earlier scenes of them battling, and what I think, Andy, is clearly developing some kind of long-standing rivalry between the two. Yeah. The groups go their separate ways. Ultra Magnus, Rekgar, and Marissa returning to Cybertron in Skylinks, and Cyclonus leaving I guess, in Astro Train, because I think Astro Train is name-checked, but we don't see him specifically get aboard him. So, we'll never find out. And the episode closes with Skylinks approaching Cybertron, and Magnus saying, we travelled from one universe to another and back again. But as citizens of the same galaxy, we are still so far apart. What is it with really downtrodden-like final lines in the- in the show right now? What is going on?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again, it, it definitely feels like it's it's part of that leaning into that slightly darker sort of tone of this season, um, but it does also make um, Ultramagnus sound like a bit of an emo poet as well, because <laughs> like he, he kind of starts out as like, you know, looking at the stars and kind of, you know, pondering the meaning of life or whatever, and then yeah, you get that at the end, and it's like, all right, you can, you know, put, put your poetry live journal away for a second and get on with
0: being like deputy leader of the Autobots for a moment. I see um, this isn't me trying to like put a down mark on the episode but there is part of me that wishes they would have explored more of this negative universe because it feels like such a cool concept that they just got away from really really quickly. I do not know cards on the table if this becomes a thing again in this series i mean in was it five faces of darkness part two we had like that warp gate that looked like a giant paint like painting frame or something that just Mm, appeared randomly we've never heard or or even seen one of those again yet so this may just be a one and done again but i really hope this negative universe comes back because i loved it as a concept
1: yeah, I mean, I, I suspect, like you, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this is just a kind of a one-off thing. And yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode as just a good, like, sci-fi romp. Like, I mean, you know, having joked about the, the movie that was inspired by this, you could legit have made this into, like, a sci-fi movie of just, like, you know... Aliens kidnap a bunch of different humans and then this whole thing, you know, comes out, they end up almost going into a black hole and like, you know, two of the humans are sworn enemies, like, I don't know, a kid and the person who bullies him, whatever. You could have done all of this in a film and it would have been a pretty cool film, I reckon. Um, And yeah, like, I really enjoyed this as just a standalone episode, but much like you, I also look at this and think man, you could have made this into, like, a two- or three-parter. You could have had, like, you know, the whole kidnapping and, oh, God, we're going into a black hole. Boom, cliffhanger. Second episode, ah, we've gone into the black hole. Boom, you know, another cliffhanger. Then the third episode, like, oh, we're in this weird negative universe. And they end up, like, finding, like, I don't know, Negative Rodimus Prime, but but more negative
0: of Rodimus Prime, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, or how? I mean, the,
0: th- think of the battle that started in the in the usual universe, the regular world. You could have built up to that as well. Like, how did that battle actually begin? Like yeah, that could have been fun yeah. to see. And this, this this could have been
1: like the Transformers doing Shattered Glass, which is basically like I I don't know if you've seen this, but like the Transformers continuity where. The Autobots are the bad guys and the Decepticons are the good guys. Oh, like wow, I, would, I haven't seen this, no. Yeah, yeah, it's also, like, it's weirdly, it's the, the, the basis for all the characters in the, the Gridman anime as well. They're all actually based on Shattered Glass versions of Transformers. Oh, wow, I didn't know that! <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing, it's a whole thing. But yeah, like, that that's sort of, like, this weird sort of, like, I think it was just, like, a fan-made kind of continuity that sort of, like, sparked, you know, sparked out into its own thing and they made figures and, and all sorts but like they could have done that with this episode of just like okay this is a negative universe like it would have been really cool for them to like journey through it and be like oh here's like Galvatron's the good guy and Rodimus Prime is like you know the, the the evil kind of ruler over Cybertron and you know there's all this stuff in my head of like oh are they going to do any of this stuff but no because it's a one-shot episode you, you have no time to do that <laughs> um, but uh, but no I, I really enjoyed this 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 was a really good fun enjoyable episode like it it crams a lot into its running time and kind of to its detriment in places but everything in here is actually pretty good so i am willing to give it a pass on that
0: yeah really enjoyed this episode excluding five faces of darkness if you wanted an episode just to kind of give you a taste of a variety of elements of what Season 3 may have coming. This is actually a pretty good way of doing that. You get to see various characters, you establish relationships, you establish so many different themes as well. Like, obviously, Autobots, Decepticons, Junkion, you get to see the two leaders in a scenario you don't expect, you get the Quintesson introduction, well, a different Quintesson introduction, quite frankly. There's just so much going on, and it works really, really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the few episodes where you can actually say you could just watch it on its own with a very little knowledge of Transformers because you kind of get a pretty good feel for like, you know, who Ultra Magnus is. Like, it's pretty kind of clear to a certain extent who all of these guys are. And it it maybe wouldn't work perfectly, but it would be be serviceable. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a, a good one. Like, if I was making a recommended list, this would probably be relatively high up there of
0: just like, yeah, watch this. It's fun. Hmm. also random as it sounds just because five faces of darkness had so many characters involved it was also nice just to have a very strict small cast list involved in this episode as well
1: yeah yeah i mean i think that's kind of i mean it makes sense with five faces of darkness because it's five episodes but like it I mean, like I said at the time with those, it felt like three different kind of storyline, you know, three different sets of episodes going on at the same time, which felt a bit much, whereas having, yeah, this really compact, you know, constricted, like, hey, here's a handful of characters, you know, you've got an Autobot, a Decepticon, a kind of neutral in Redgar, and then a human, Um, you know, it's a really interesting little mix of
0: characters as well that it, it puts together in a room. So before we get on to the next episode, Andy, let's quickly dive into the TF wiki once again and see if there's any interesting trivia notes to to make note of. So one note, Andy, from this, the background music which plays during the working together montage, as the TF wiki puts it, is the first piece of new music composed for season three, excluding the opening theme, and would appear to have been created specifically for this scene in question tiny snippets of it can be heard in a selection of other episodes and also in the gi joe episode secondhand emotions
1: yeah again just yeah re- reusing that, that music between the two yeah it's, it's the weird thing actually that's that i've had that i've not talked about watching season three so far is i know there's a whole bunch of like new season three music and i've been surprised that i've not heard any of it yet So I've kind of been, like, listing out, being like, oh, come on, because there's some really good tracks on, like, the Season 3 side of the soundtrack, and I'm dying to, like, see them deployed. But thus far, it's been all, like, the classic kind of Transformers tunes that we've heard many a time before at this point. So, yeah, that did stand out to me. It's like, oh, there's
0: actually some new music here. From there, everyone, we now advance as we begin talking about Season 3, Episode 7. Very simple title, just simply chaos and nothing to do with sonic either by the way no chaos emeralds or anything yeah i mean I, I would love to know like how
1: this episode came about just in terms of the title like you know did did somebody just write this on a whiteboard somewhere <laughs> as, as an episode and just like it just you know like brainstorming like right Let's have some episode ideas for Transformers. And somebody just steps
0: up and just writes chaos on the whiteboard. and like,
1: what are we supposed to do with that?
0: And this apparently was the answer. Like, imagine the pitch meeting. Right, imagine everyone. Imagine chaos. And it's just yeah. that awkward silence. And then just like, go on. And <laughs> just waiting for, yeah. for more. It's like, oh no, that's all I've got for you. Just the word chaos. Yeah. And then someone else put their hand up. What if we made this an episode about cup? And everyone's like, what? Get out. <laughs> On that note, let's get to the story. Near the planet Goo, a Skuxoid is using a bazooka to fire strange crystals at random pieces of junk in a bunch of debris floating about through space. But moments later, we hear, we hear it specifically referred to, this being the debris area, as a litter void by Blastoff, who spots him and they start firing at each other. Cornering the Skuxoid on Goo, Blastoff demands to know the specifics about the weapon and the ammo for it. The Skuxoid shows him the crystals, and Blastoff gets an opportunity to test the weapon for himself, downing a ship flying nearby the planet. The Skuxoid says that these crystals are hard to find, but he has a map to the planet where they can be obtained. We then cut to Cybertron, where Cup is telling a story about one of his encounters with an Ickyak on the planet dread to blurt wheelie and grimlock. An Ickyak <laughs> saying that is really weird. An Ickyak has cornered Cup on Dread, but Cup managed to trick it into walking into the quick mud, Andy. <laughs> I, I won't lie, when I heard
1: Quick Mud, I did laugh. <laughs> yeah, when 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 quicksand is just too too grainy for you.
0: Oh, <laughs> I think I say when quicksand is copyrighted or something. Well, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't think anybody has, like, got a trademark on quicksand, but I could be wrong. I mean, we'll be in trouble if, if that's true, because we just said quicksand a bunch, so <laughs> apologies. I'll, I'll get I'll get
0: my lawyers on the phone just in case. <laughs> Please contact Starscream's ghost, specifically, see if that works. <laughs> Grimlock says that he heard that there was a monster named Chaos that lived on the planet Dread, and asks Cup if that's true. Cup is not happy that Grimlock has heard about this and tells him to never speak of chaos again. To which Grimlock says, "Me, Grimlock, say please, Cup. <laughs> I, I howled at this, Andy."
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 part part of our, our new friendly face Grimlock. But I do I do also enjoy the continuity here that this is like the story that Cup was relaying on the shuttle in Transformers the movie, kind of a bit like fleshed out a bit because we start we get a little bit of the giant Ickyak story, but we don't get the end of it because other stuff is going down. And I I like that somebody decided like no, we need to we need to dig more into the Ickyak story because. Someone was clearly really pleased that they'd created the word ik and
0: wanted to use it again. (laughs) Cup's reaction to Grimlock is a sad face. But at that moment, Rekgar contacts Cybertron, telling them of a discovery he made. Not that Grimlock could actually understand what Rekgar's TV speak was, which was also an amusing moment. Ah, for the love of many microchips, there's been a clamour on goo, says Cup, translating for Grimlock. (laughs) Grimlock then says... What's this mean, calamity? (laughs) And Cup says in response, somebody busted up an Earth Defence command station. Which I thought, how did you get all of that from what he said?
1: (laughs) I mean I guess I guess Cup and Redkar have been hanging out a fair bit at this point. And and I mean again, a little bit of movie continuity where like, you know, Cup kind of joined in on the talking TV thing in Transformers the movie. And again, this feels like they're really they're really leaning hard into every little thing that happened in that film of just like, okay, cool that, yeah, these two understand each other, so we'll we'll, we'll run with this.
0: It's funny you mention that, because now that I'm thinking about it, it is really nice, to, you know, despite how much happens in the movie that alters so many things forevermore, that, like you just said, they're kind of following up on little details which were touched on, but, but didn't have time to be elaborated on. Now that you've mentioned that, that's making me really happy, genuinely.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, there's a lot, I mean, you know, between the Ikkiak and this, like, there's a definite feel of, like, somebody, and again, I mean, guess, like, same story writer, like, they're clearly just, like, you know, I, I can I can flesh a bunch of these things out, because, you know, I need to make more of these characters than I did in the film, so what can I do in terms of these relationships and the the little things between them, but yeah, like, you know, th- there's, uh, even, you know, that, that note we were talking about from Five Faces of Darkness of trying to make blur a bit more to note like even though it got canned like there was clearly a desire to be like no we need to flesh these new characters out a bit more and not just
0: have them do their one bit and I I do appreciate that Using Skylinks the Autobots go to investigate on Goo and I feel the need to point out here there is a nice bit of continuity from past stories in that Blur turned off the Goo so they wouldn't get stuck Andy
1: yeah, again, more continuity and, yeah, some some sensible some
0: sensibility from Blair. Well played. They discover a destroyed Earth Defense Command Station and the ship that Blastoff had shut down in the opening scene we were talking about. Cup uses a scanner to try and figure out what did this damage. Well, of all the piston-powered software slumping things I've ever seen, Cup says it in reaction to the scanner's readings. Cup's got some great lines in this episode. Grimlock is shocked as the station, according to him, was made from the strongest metal in the galaxy. But Cup recognises the readings of what did it. Death Crystals.
1: Which, I mean, I <laughs> love that name so much. It's just, the. I mean, again, talking about, like, the edgy feel to this season, and that is, like, perhaps the peak kind of, like, demonstration of what they're trying to do here. It's just, like, you know, ha- think of all the weird kind of names we had in seasons one and two for various things, and they were always kind of skirting around, you know, anything like this. N- none of that in season three. It's like, no, nah, they're just Death Crystals what they call death crystals
0: i mean we're adding it to our bingo car now where every time they make a die reference quite literally we're adding it on there now so yeah yeah if anything is called like death
1: i mean it's surprising that, that, that this episode is called chaos and not just death you know? <laughs> it's like why not just go straight for the jugular and just call call the, the the entity death but but no they've at least gone with chaos
0: there was part of me that was wondering given the episode is called chaos why weren't they called chaos crystals yeah, I mean you, you know, but but yeah,
1: clear, it, it does feel like there's a quota to be met here. Of like, we've got to put death into every death or darkness, like death or dark are the two words we have to use in every single episode. So right, we've got five faces of darkness. Like there was definitely some some death and darkness in in the previous episode. This one we've got death crystals, and then we've got dark awakening, which also has some death in it. To be quite honest, we'll get to that shortly. <laughs>
0: The Autobots ask what Death Crystals are, but Cup is very... (laughs) Yeah, who can tell what a Death Crystal might do? I mean, if only it had some more descriptive names. (laughs) But Cup is very hesitant to share. I'll just keep adding to this at the moment. So much so that he mutters, Andy, he hoped he wouldn't be alive to see this day. (laughs) At that moment, Blastoff appears with the I've written down here Andy debuting, because I don't think we've seen him before, but Runamuck, like, riding on top of him, firing death crystals. Yeah. I, as
1: somebody, again, like, one of the, the, the Decepticon toys I owned was was Runamuck, so I was very excited to see him in the cartoon because I didn't I didn't expect to see Runamuck here <laughs> or at any
0: other point. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Yay. <laughs> and then uh, we didn't hear Skylink say... It appears I'll have to save you as usual.
1: <laughs> um, I, I I remember finding Skylink's kind of annoying when I was a kid. As a grown-up, I, I think I appreciate Skylink's a lot more. <laughs> I I feel, I feel like I I, I I I can I can I can relate to Skylink's now.
0: You know there was that point in season two where Optimus Prime was clearly just like, oh please, can you just stop being annoying? <laughs> this is what Skylink's is now. He is the embodiment of that essence of Optimus Prime.
1: Yeah, yeah, except he's just kind of a real like egotistical jerk about it in a way that Optimus Prime is not. But yeah, he's very much just like the guy who's just like, "Ah, okay, I'll clean up all of your mess." Um, but yeah, I'm 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 definitely I'm definitely yes. I'm I'm a
0: Skylinks fan now in a way that I was not before. <laughs> Escaping on Skylinks, the two transformer shuttles play a game of cat and mouse, so to speak, and we see some fun space-based flying through the debris field. This is until Runamuck destroys a comet, allowing Skylinks to escape. Gonna pause there for a second, Andy, because it's quite a lot we've sort of just talked about in general there. Up to this point in the episode, again, nice that we've got some like post movie elaboration happening here. I again, I'm liking how this is building. The whole concept of Death Crystals is incredibly wonderful, <laughs> to put it bluntly, and it, it's fun that we're actually getting a bit more focus on Cup because just from the little bits that we've seen, be it in the episodes or from the movie, there was clearly going to be a fun character there, and we're really getting a chance to dive deep into Cup's character now, and I think it works really well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's nice to have a Cup-focused episode. I mean, again, this... This is an episode that kind of led to me sort of like writing my own Transformers series in my head because I really like the idea of a cup like crime procedural. (laughs) Because like he comes he comes into this episode like, oh, somebody's down to spacecraft and he comes and like, you know, does all the like the forensic stuff. To find out what's going on and it kind of it, it is set up in a way that sounds like this is sort of his jam like this is what they get him to do as like the security expert of just like you know there's been a murder call for cup and it's like i am pleased like somebody write in if there's like any kind of like transformers fiction that does this because it feels like it's a really good setup for like a kind of sci-fi murder mystery detective show where like Cup is like the Columbo one more thing detective and I, I I want that series I want like detective Cup you know space cop or whatever <laughs> Um but yeah like I, I, I like this idea of just you know there's again a bit of mystery to it like it's not just a straight up like the Decepticons have done a thing. And it's sort of, it's the nice thing about this season three setup where the Decepticons are still kind of like, you know, they've been kicked off of Cybertron. We don't really know what their status is. Like, you know, Five Faces of Darkness, they are in a real mess. They were kind of not capable of doing anything. Now Galvatron's back, but in these episodes, it still sort of feels like they're still getting themselves back together. And, you know, they're not really, you know, we're not at that point where it's like, the Decepticons are attacking the Autobots every week. So there's this legitimate question of, like, this thing has happened. It's not just the obvious, oh, it's the Decepticons. It's like, something's going on here. What is it, and who is responsible for it? And it's a genuine question and a mystery to the Autobots, which, yeah, I'm I'm kind of a fan of.
0: You talking about, like, Detective Cup, can he team up with... Who was that guy that, that debuted in The Gambler? Was it DevCon? Yeah, yeah. Can we get, I, like, the Autobot Space Bounty Hunter and Cup? I mean, like, their own, like, double act. Oh. <laughs>
1: God, that would be amazing yeah they just have their own like miami vice you know they can just kind of like they, they, they can just kind of like slide over the bonnets sort of like hot rod or something and just yeah just like solve crimes and, and stuff yeah like please if, if this series doesn't exist again we are available
0: for commission so uh, <laughs> we will happily write this show for you but we'll call it chaos i don't know <laughs> i've just got this vision now of, like cybertron vice and just like a whole intro sequence to that theme with just bits yeah, of so cybertron t- around it <laughs> C- CSI Cybertron. I <laughs> so back to the story. After escaping, the Autobots, well, Grimlock more specifically, demands answers. Cup eventually explains, quote, Death crystals are the hardest, most destructive things in the universe. They grow on that horrible monster, Chaos. He continues to say that Chaos lives... In Queeg Mountain, on the planet Dread, deep in the caves, no robot has ever seen him and survived. We come to find out that he last saw the crystals one hundred thousand years ago. Blumenekand is a long-ass time, right? <laughs> yeah, this this also like this
1: this makes me question like the timelines of the whole like Quintesson thing, I, I guess that was like over millions of years, the mm. whole like Quintusons like building the, the Autobots, but again, it's like you'd have thought Cup might know a bit more
0: about that than others, but maybe overthinking that. And when he was on Dread, that being Cup, he was captured by orbs. Now, I don't mean as in like spherical elements or objects, I mean apparently a slaver race called orbs, literally. He was one of hundreds of robot slaves forced to work to mine death crystals under extremely hazardous conditions near Chaos's cavern. Facing attacks by wrecks of, of Shrike bats, I think they're called, looking at the TF wiki when I was doing some research on this. And we see a flashback to the scenario I've just mentioned. In this same flashback, we see Cup managing to sneak away from his work, heading into the caves, where he finds a group of imprisoned robots. As he was preparing to free them, Chaos appeared. And it turns out, Andy, that Chaos is a giant, green, scaly-looking creature that's almost a cross between, as I wrote down here, a kaiju similar to Godzilla and a big bear.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what I was expecting from Chaos, um, and I guess I guess this was probably sort of it. I was sort of expecting it might be something a little bit kaiju esque. So yeah, I was kind
0: of like yeah, sure, this is this makes sense for what Chaos might be. There was part of me that was wondering when so he was going to try and rescue the other prisoners if maybe they anyone there was significant in terms of Transformers law, but I don't know if they were to be honest. No, it seemed like, yeah, they were just kind of fodder, basically, for this episode. They were robots! <laughs> so Cup was so frightened that he fled, leaving the robots I just mentioned behind. He's never forgiven himself for leaving those other robots behind in that prison, and now the Decepticons know about the Death Crystals. The Autobots resolve to stop the Decepticons before disaster should strike. So before we get to the Planet Dread, Andy, thoughts on the episode as a whole up to this point. Again, from my point of view, I'm enjoying it. I'm liking the stuff they're building. Not sure if I'm as into it as I was with the Killing Jar at this point, but there's definitely something nice building here. And again, cup-focused episode, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely like the cut backstory stuff, and, you know, again, really leaning into him as, like, the teller of tall tales, um, and sort of, you know, actually getting some background on that. Yeah, the actual chaos stuff feels a little bit kind of generic, like, uh, uh, it would have been nice to, to have, like, you know, maybe chaos, like, originated from some, like, you know, primeval transformer he was a like proto dinobot or something but it's just like oh no it's just like a sort of somewhat generic alien uh which i think that was the point where i sort of lost interest a little bit of just like ah, i thought there'd maybe be something a bit deeper to like the origin of chaos but it's just kind of like ah eh, no that's not you know I, it, it even seems less interesting than the the that, that cup was talking about <laughs> it's like ah, i kind of want to see what that's all about
0: now but fine i guess we'll run with this Indeed. On the planet Dread, it turns out that Galvatron is not content to merely use the Death Crystals as just ammunition, because he's building a cannon that is he is going to use to fire crystals directly at Cybertron, destroying it simply with one shot. Quote: Just think Galvatron. When Cybertron is destroyed by this cannon, you'll be more famous in history than Unicron, says AstroTrain. Galvatron simply says yes I know (laughs) (laughs) I mean I I do like that this is at least one
1: bit of kind of like Megatron's brain that is transferred over into Galvatron of just like oh got some cool new energy source slash weapon gotta make a big gun to use it it's like it's the classic Megatron gambit Um, uh, kind of weird that other Decepticons are into the idea of blowing up Cybertron at this point like I thought Mm. this was your home planet that you wanted to like take back control of but now just like no just blow it up it's uh, you know I guess I guess it's you know it maybe makes sense given their circumstances but it's like hey this is still your home planet do you really want to blow it up with death crystals i mean i do want to i guess the death crystals are cool they probably just want to see stuff blow up so
0: which is fair but like you say it is weird they just want to blow up cybertron that just seems to be the weirdest part of this equation yeah, because it makes sense
1: for Galvatron because like like we we have sort of like established that he's kind of lost his mind somewhat in the transfer from Megatron to Galvatron, and he's sort of lost his like whatever the. Transformers version of humanity is like Transformanity um, like he's you know he doesn't he, he doesn't really have that anymore but you'd have thought that you know much like the Blitzwing thing in Five Faces of Darkness it would have been an interesting little pivot to have at least some murmurings of like do we really want to let him blow up our home planet and then you know decide that oh we're scared of Galvatron so okay we'll do what you say uh, but instead yeah
0: it's this weirdly sort of enthusiastic like yeah let's blow up our home planet sounds great we then see Inside the Mind where a bunch of slaves are being terrified by the incoming presence of chaos and start to run away. This prompts Galvatron to call forth the Predacons to transform into Predaking and recapture them. Now, I will say, Andy, it's our first opportunity to see King do something successful in this series after King's gloriously bad debut during the Five Faces of Darkness.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did actually get a little bit excited that we we get some proper Predacon action here and not just the yeah the kind of abortive attempts in Five Faces of Darkness. Because like this is this is the Predacons that I remember where they're actually pretty good. So yeah, it was nice to nice to see them
0: get a bit of a run out. Landing away from the Decepticon camp, Cup takes Blur to do some recon, and during their search, unbeknownst to them, the Predacons already have them in their sights. With Razorclaw and Rampage, according to the TF wiki, because I'm still learning who they are, everyone, just cards on the table there, taking on Cup, while the others are knocking Blur into the quick mud. which, as the TF wiki put it, Andy, which I felt the need to note down, they said, which has the benefit of shutting him up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean there is that is very very fair realizing that their comrades are in trouble grimlock wheelie and wreck head over to help While while Skylink's for the first time in the series andy correct me if i'm wrong separates into two to take on both the predacons and sir and save blur excuse me simultaneously but elaborate on this for me andy because i'm not oh, i'm still sort of new to Skylinks, or from what my you know Jeremy's current brain can remember. How many forms has Skylinks got? Because I know there's like the the links, obviously. There's the yeah. jet form, but are there like other elements I'm forgetting?
1: Yeah, there's like there's his his, his normal kind of like non-vehicle mode is his like bird mode where he's that, yeah. just like yeah and, and then yeah then he kind of splits into two of just like yeah like space shuttle and the kind of like carrier part of it that becomes the links mm. um I, I feel like he did do that at some point in five faces of darkness but i could be misremembering
0: mm. yeah sorry i should have uh, spoken prop there because i remembered the bird form but i didn't remember the uh, the links form as it were despite links in the name but you know what i mean uh, yeah <laughs> I suppose the better question to ask is is Skylink's effectively a triple changer then? I guess so. I mean he's yeah
1: like uh, (laughs) I mean I guess the technical designation is he's probably some other random toy from another line of transforming things (laughs) that became a transformer Uh, because he's not like officially like I don't think he's ever officially been listed as a triple changer and he's kind of weird because he splits into like two component parts you know I don't know how you designate that but yeah he definitely has like three forms effectively so i i I would say technically he's a triple changer but maybe maybe springer isn't really into the idea of
0: giving him that designation because he doesn't like him who knows so i've just quickly gone on the tf wiki seeing as we're on this point we may as well just quickly quickly discuss it here let's see so um Sky Lynx's usual form grants him several abilities. As a shuttle, he can easily travel between star systems and carry passengers as as well. When transformed, he can split into two autonomous components a walking Lynx and a flying bird creature. His two components can also combine into a larger, more powerful Lynx bird creature. Uh, In some universes, he can combine to form Sky Rain. I'm not familiar with that, but sure. So there we go. We've learned something about Skylinks, everyone. Yeah, there we go. Heading for the two waterbots, Grimlock mauls Razor Claw, as Wheelie and Rekgar fire while Skylinks rescues Blur from the mud. Quote, You Blur! Lucky we got tired of waiting. Otherwise you'd be nothing but mud pie. Me, Grimlock, say now it's time to destroy that monster chaos! Says Grimlock after everyone has, has regrouped following the scuffle, while everyone is... Is discussing their next move the consensus sans cup pretty for obvious reasons at this point is that they need to destroy chaos skylinks decides that some recon is needed and takes to the sky the predacons retreat to inform galvatron what has occurred at the camp when we hear from astrotrain that they don't need any more they don't need many more crystals excuse me before they can destroy cybertron Sky Lynx then makes his presence known, and a firefight begins. Heading for the camp, the other Autobots arrive to attack the Decepticons, and Skylinks is downed after an initially even battle. The Predacons during this time form Predaking once again, and Cup decides to head inside the mines, knowing that something more needs to be done. At this point, Andy, Predaking literally slices a giant boulder from... From the mountain where the cave entrance is and the entrance is blocked another cool moment for predaking that's why i kind of highlighted it really just another cool moment
1: yeah yeah he definitely gets gets his due a little bit in this one which is, is nice
0: to see the Autobots left outside are now on the back foot from all just the, the barrage of attacks heading their way they end up finding Skylink's, who says that he isn't too badly injured and even calls his friends auto buddies in the process which i thought was really fun and cute
1: yeah yeah it make, makes a change from all the insults that get kind of uh attached to auto or decepti. so auto buddies.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that cup is now trapped inside the mines of queeg mountain which i want to make sure i say Willies at least one more time and immediately goes to find chaos he decides to confront him and says that there's an even greater monster outside the new angering chaos in the process Cup then makes a run for it, in the process, finding imprisoned robots and freeing them. Outside, Cup is then able to get a few of the robots to arrive just as Galvatron is ready to fire the cannon at Cybertron. Should, should, should also, excuse me, make mention, everyone, that they basically exited another exit to the cave. That's how he got out so easily. A minor detail, but in case anyone was wondering. When it comes to the cannon, they end up repositioning it. So in turn, Andy, Galvatron and Astro Train are just like knocked off in the process, which was quite a comical moment. <laughs> and then at that moment, the monster chaos arrives. The beast chaos is what creates the death crystals. The death crystals are now inside the cannon that Galvatron has made. So there's only one thing that Cup can do, and that is to fire the Death Crystal Cannon. At chaos, in turn firing it at the mountain, which it turns out, Andy, is a volcano. <laughs> Minor well, I mean, detail there. We,
1: we, 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 we had a volcano destroyed in Five Faces of Darkness, so I guess the, the, the volcano quotient still remains in the series. So we're going to have one somewhere.
0: Skylinks manages to rescue the Autobots, who flee into space just as lava is cover- covering everywhere nearby. But Skylinks has been injured. But Cup says, ah, "I'm sure he's going to be okay." And that actually reminds me of the time that he was riding the shuttle Jonagar and was trapped in a Space Whale. <laughs> sure Cup, sure. As the other Autobots bemoan another tale being told by Cup, Grimlock commands them to be quiet because he loves Cup's war stories. <laughs> and that's how the episode ends, everyone. I it, it's really weird, Andy. I didn't have an issue with this episode. It does just feel like, in looking back on this, it was a bit flat, wasn't it? Even though there were some very good and fun moments in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, I feel like it it starts out pretty well with some intriguing stuff, and then it sort of turns into a pretty sort of generic episode once you kind of realise what they're going to do and where they've got to go to do it, and I, I, I think it works reasonably well as, like, establishing Cup and letting him do some cool stuff and, you know, win the day, so it's kind of fair from that point of view, but... Beyond that, it's just like, yeah, that was, you know, passable. It was a serviceable
0: episode, but it didn't, you know, set the world alight. So before we move on to the next episode, Andy, let's get some trivia notes from the TF wiki on this episode. This episode would be the last time Casey Kasim would ever voice a character in Transformers. He can be briefly heard as one of the robot slaves in Cup's first flashback to Chaos, screaming, quote, we have to return to our home planet, quote. The voice actor call sheet for this episode shows that he performed another character, which I won't mention now because it will spoil something for an upcoming episode, only to have his lines deleted. Andy, just to make sure, because I know we've sort of alluded to this a few times now in previous podcasts, is this the episode in question we were talking about for this? Uh,
1: no, so, I mean, this, yeah, I, I think, again, this is a sort of, like, ordering thing where, yeah, this is not the episode that caused Casey Kissing to, to to leave the show, um, but I guess in probably, in terms of, like, lines recorded, this must have been, like, his last performance before he chose to, to quit over, yeah, the episode that we will come to in a
0: future instalment. Apparently, Andy, an early title for this episode was Mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> Does, does that mean they would also have called the Monster Mayhem? Quite possibly. Just like... Quite possibly. So, the early script for this episode called for organic alien slaves who even had character models developed. The final aired version replaced these organic slaves with robots. Jim Sorensen, a Transformers fan based in Los Angeles who freelances with IDW Publishing, posted designs on their blog. Uh, these models appeared in the episode only very briefly in one shot as cup frees the prisoners uh, these were later reused for two members of a party of aliens who rescue octane after he gets stranded in space in an upcoming episode i shall not mention the name of for the sake of continuity of our podcast andy and you know what that might do it for for trivia notes for this particular episode so, Andy, from there, any more notes you want to give on the episode before we move on to our final episode of this here podcast? No, I,
1: I don't think so. Let's let's get into perhaps the the, the real meat of of these three
0: episodes. <laughs> one could argue. So, from there, Andy, season three, episode eight, Dark Awakening. Buckle up, everyone, because we are in for a ride. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I've got to say, like, I, I had not seen this episode before. I'm not really even sure I was aware aware of it. I was not prepared for this. I was I came into this being like, okay, yeah, another episode of Transformers Dark Awakening. Well, that you know that sounds pretty generic, and I'm sure like what could happen in this, like I don't know, probably just nothing nothing
0: groundbreaking. Boy, was I in for a surprise! You ain't joking. Let's get right into this. On the run from Galvatron, who it turns out has seemingly formed what turned out to be probably one of the world's most shortest-lived temporary alliances in a Transformers episode, with the Quintessons to help lead them to the Autobots. Aboard an arc-like ship, we have Rodimus Prime, RC Ultra Magnus Cup, Spike, and Daniel. Now, Once again, Andy, to kind of call back to something that you mentioned in our last podcast and also something that we saw during the movie, they tried the old detonate three quarters of the ship trick that we saw in the movie to try and evade their pursuers. But unlucky for them, and I think credit to, to Galvatron more to the point, Andy, he has clearly learned from past mistakes because he was smart enough to want to investigate the debris before moving on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I write in my notes, I oh, the, the, the old emergency separation trick. But yeah, there's only like, that's very much a, like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on, you know, shame on me kind of moment. Because like, yeah, that's, you know, kudos to Galvatron for not doing the typical like evil leader thing and just like not learning his lessons. So, you know, Galvatron doing, doing his homework. Speaking of
0: evil leader, you'll find out why I'm saying this in a second. Now, what's left of the ship can't support human life for long, and this is emphasised with the following dialogue exchange between Spike and Rodimus Prime. Spike. Ah, swell. What do Daniel and I do when the air runs out? Rodimus responds in the most monotone, deadpan way possible. Well, basically, you have two choices. Suffocate or smother. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a, a, again, if if you wanted
1: kind of like a, a, a point in time to kind of indicate like the darker tone of this series, like just, just, I mean, A, just that line in itself is like, wow, that's pretty dark. And two, for it to come from Rodimus, like that's kind of, you know, that's maybe like a Springer quip that you'd be like, yeah, okay, that's Springer's, like, gallows humour, because that's what he does. But it's just like, you know, you cannot imagine, like, Optimus Prime saying this line, even in this episode. Um And it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of a crazy moment, like, where, like, I laughed at that, and then was just like, hang on, this was a kid's
0: cartoon. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty dark. Yeah, it's... It's so weird. It's the only way I can put it, just hearing something like that in a kid's cartoon like this. And also just so bluntly as well. Like Transformers the movie, when we discussed that a few podcasts ago, we talked about how there was a clear tonal shift in that and some of the direct lines used. But this is just outright telling people, well, you're freaking screwed, aren't you? Basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, yep, yeah, well, you're
1: gonna die, aren't you? Which, and again, like to a human character as well. And then what... Well, two human characters, it's like... To a yeah,
0: child, quite frankly!
1: Exactly, is a child. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of incredible that they, they go down that route and it sort of, is kind of admirable in a weird way, Um, but yeah, really like leaning into that movie vibe, which will again, a recurring theme of this episode for sure.
0: Yeah, and it, I'm going to sort of note this now in case I sort of come back to it a bit later, but as we'll get on to through this episode, I really feel like this this story is actually very important for the development of Rodimus as a character. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, in- incredibly important. And I'm going to be very interested to see, and again, we'll probably elaborate on this a bit more as we go through this, whether this actually does see a notable change for the character, because there is some poignant stuff coming up yeah and, and to be honest to me that feels like the
1: primary goal of this episode so yeah like I'm similarly interested because despite all the stuff that goes on here and the other things that it is kind of alluding to and, and setting up for like further down the line in this series this does primarily feel like a redemption for Hot Rod slash Rodimus um, and you know which again in itself is a really interesting thing with you know what they're doing with these characters because it's much much like you know again going back to that whole blur giving him like another another angle and another element like you know this series is very keen to do that kind of stuff with you know Rodimus and Galvatron you sort of see in Five Faces of Darkness and it sort of follows through on Rodimus in this episode to be like okay we've set up this idea that he's like a reluctant leader he doesn't really want this job what does that mean when he kind of really has to come face to face with, you know, what has happened to him and where what, what his trajectory has been. And that's pretty, that's pretty deep for a kid's
0: cartoon when you actually think about it. The Autobots then pick up something on their radar and head towards it. We also see that the Decepticons have picked it up on their radar, Scourge saying, quote-unquote, There's something big out there! I had to note that because that delivery was wonderful yeah thank, thanks Scourge for the useful <laughs> the useful advice the Autobots head towards whatever this giant thing is and Daniel notices there's a very sombre mood that's developing over everyone else in this tiny little ship they're in now and wants to know what it is RC says it's a tomb Magnus adds we built it Cup follows up with, as the final resting place for Autobots we lost in the Great War. Daniel then says, like Optimus Prime? And everyone just nods in response. Holy crap, Andy! It's like, what the
1: heck? Yeah, like, we're a few minutes deep at this point and, yeah, we've been introduced to a tomb and, like, by the way, this is where, like, all the dead Autobots are. Also, right to the face of, like, Daniel, like, thinking back to the movie and his, like, traumatised face when Optimus Prime dies, it's like, this This kid's gonna go on a ride as well, like, in this episode, because it's like, this is, this is already a bad
0: place to be and it, it ain't gonna get much better. Yeah, there is part of me that's wondering at this point where, like, how long has it been since the events of the movie? At this point, I mean, not very long from timelines
1: because this is what set two thousand and six, so mm. this is like a year later. So this is all like very fresh post-traumatic stress for Daniel etc mm. that is like being faced with this tomb of, of you know and I guess at this point they don't directly say like oh yeah by the way like Optimus Prime etc is here mm. but it's pretty it's pretty clear that that's where we're going and it's already like my I was just like where is this episode headed <laughs> like I'm I'm very
0: intrigued by this tell me more The Autobots reluctantly take refuge on board the Mausoleum, an interstellar tomb containing many of the deceased comrades, as we've noted, implying Optimus Prime is in this place. Rodimus tells Daniel that nothing inside can hurt him, after he is clearly a bit spooked by what the heck he is about to go into. They all begin walking around inside, and Daniel ends up being separated from everyone due to his curiosity, like any child has when you're walking around a new place. While exploring by himself, he comes across plaques with familiar names on it. Ironhide, Ratchet, Prowl, and Huffer. He ends up turning off a device and restarts it by doing the typical human thing of hitting it. And then he sees what looks like a fully animated form of a very battle-damaged Optimus Prime. Suffice to say, he's super freaking scared and just ends up bumping into things. Even opening another door where another robot just falls out. I don't know if that robot was anyone significant, Andy, but it did just fall on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, they they had a lot of dead Autobots to bury in a hurry and clearly didn't secure the cupboard doors very well. (laughs) But, I mean, this is like, you know... This is proper like horror movie yep, stuff. Literally, right? what this I've got like written down. Referencing your typical kind of like horror movie, like graveyard sort of scene where you know the the kids wandering around lost, and oh my god, like it's a reanimated corpse. Ah, and it's like yeah, again, kids cartoon, but here we are. We're we going we're going for this.
0: When he's able to find the others, he swears he has seen Optimus Prime alive. Suffice to say, everyone is probably thinking, this is really not funny, kid. Like, seriously, what the hell? But to satisfy his curiosity, and against the opinions of the other Autobots as well, it should be said, Rodimus and co. head to Optimus Prime's burial chamber. Now, Rodimus, before he opens it, sort of muses to himself that, If Optimus Prime were alive, he'd want to know what the heck is going on as well. And that the Matrix would have told him somehow if Prime was actually alive. They open Prime's tomb only to find it is empty. However, they cannot investigate further because the Decepticons have followed them on board and start attacking. As mentioned, it turns out Galvatron has wised up to that old decoy trick involving the ships. Good job, Galvatron the fierce battle that follows appears lost for the Autobots, not helped when Galvatron also destroys the final quarter of the ship, Andy, because he wants to make sure the job is done at this point. Also, in the process of this, RC takes, like, a proper solid shot to the leg while trying to protect Spike and Daniel, and also says it's only an exo-structure wound. I appreciated that line. (laughs) When suddenly, the Autobots are saved by none other than Optimus Prime himself and we hear the following phrase in that classic Peter Cullen voice Decepticons leave this place or die (laughs) again Andy holy crap (laughs) yeah and also I mean again like from
1: you know season one and two optimus prime you know never reference death and straight away which is like you know uh, which again is it's, it's really hard to tell given like the change in tone for this season whether that's just a tonal thing or whether that's a, a clear kind of indicator of that this is not this 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 is not your dad's optimus prime mm-hmm. like this is a this is not you know optimus prime functioning normally um but yeah like this is this is a lot at this point of just like there is, there is much to unpack. Like in, I, I mean, I don't know what like sick, my six, like slash seven year old brain would have made of this episode. had I watched it as a kid, because it's like, there is, there is a lot and it's, you know, and again, like Optimus prime n- kind of beaten up, like, you know, with all of the, the wounds that he had in transformers, the movie. And it's just weird and kind of like,
0: fascinating but kind of horrifying all at the same time with their ranks bolstered by the mighty warrior's firepower we get a traditional decepticon retreat the autobots are amazed and confused quite rightly at optimus prime's presence now optimus's first concern is is the matrix safe rodimus says he was keeping it warm for him but as he motions to get it from his chest magnus protests that optimus is in no condition to assume leadership pretty much just going the heck are you doing kid yeah yeah it's like
1: guy who has been like dead for a year and is suddenly like not like maybe 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 let him get like 40 winks before he takes on the matrix again
0: let him have some some fresh energon you know yeah exactly (laughs) Optimus can give them no explanation for his apparent resurrection. Just the typical sort of near-death experience of seeing darkness and then in a sort of light at the end of the tunnel type thing. Everyone is very perplexed. And that's made even more so when Optimus Prime just suddenly blurts out must complete plan and wanders off. Yeah, nothing nothing like (laughs) malicious or menacing about that at all. That's perfectly normal. Everyone goes to follow him. Rodimus Prime has seen enough and is convinced at this point, Andy, that everything is okay. He eagerly, and I'm using that word generously, eagerly, wants to return the Matrix of Leadership to Optimus Prime, despite Prime's bizarre behavior, despite the fact he's battle-damaged to flipping hell. He's also just... he's just wanting to give it to him. But Prime is also sort of resisting wanting it as well. And this is also happening against the advice of Cup and Ultra Magnus, who are still protesting at the idea of this happening. Obviously, Andy, not that they don't want Optimus to be leader, but just the fact of hold on a second here. <laughs> like Let's review what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I think that is that's
1: kind of the great thing about what this season is trying to do with its characters, like as, as we've been talking about, because, you know like you say we've seen Rodimus the reluctant leader and suddenly he's faced with this opportunity of like hey I can just get this burden off of me like right now right here right now and you see just how eager he is to like step back to being hot rods and getting to just kind of like live you know his normal life not the one that he's had to assume Um, and it's really well played out because yeah like you know again good bit of mystery around like well what's the deal with Optimus Prime here like what's actually going on um, and then plus this kind of extra angle, because, you know, it's sort of, it wouldn't make sense any other way for everybody just to be like, okay, cool, you're back, just like that, but because you've got Rodimus there, and because he's so eager to be like, thank God, like, you know, I can just get rid of this duty that I never wanted in the first place, it really sells it on the idea of like, well, of course he's just going to say like, yep, cool, well, there you go, here's your leader let's just follow what Optimus Prime wants to do, Um, and, you know, you can buy into, maybe not everything that happens forthcoming, but a decent amount of it, because it's just like, you know, Rodimus is is desperate to get rid of that responsibility.
0: Now, notably, without the Matrix inside of him, and now inside Optimus Prime, because this switch does actually happen, Rodimus reverts back to Hot Rod, and declares, let's party! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's interesting as well, Andy, because this is the first time we've seen Hot Rod in Season 3, isn't it? I don't think we had any flashbacks at all, did we? Uh, No, no, because even
1: when he... Tried to kill himself earlier in this season, if, if, in case you'd forgotten how dark season three is. Rodimus Prime tr- tries to commit suicide in Five Faces of Darkness, um and yeah, so e- even then, yeah, we just see him as Rodimus. Uh, so yeah, this is this is like you know just just reverting to, uh, uh, and you wonder how much of this is kind of like you know smart deep character writing and how much of this is like Hasbro being like, hey, we still need to sell the Hot Rod toys too, so can you find a way to like get him to go back to being Hot Rod for a bit. Because you know the sales aren't so good. Can you can you make can, can you make him hot rod again for a
0: while? Because you know how he was only a character for like what sixty minutes of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it,
0: it, exactly, and, and
1: it doesn't really do all that much apart from Kill Optimus Prime basically in that hour. Um, but you know, and it's as much, much as I bought the hot rod toy because it was cooler than the Rodimus Prime one. Like yeah, I I. I'm, Cynical me is just like, yeah, they probably wanted an excuse to get some Hot Rod time back to try and flog that toy a bit. Now,
0: after the line of Let's Party from Hot Rod, Optimus, obviously, at this point, has got some other plans in mind, and simply says, forgive me. And clearly, in my opinion, Andy, wants to get what I'm phrasing as a receipt on Hot Rod. For what occurred in the movie. For being part of the reason why he was dead for a year. Because he just shoots him square in the chest with his cannon. (laughs) Yeah, he sure does. (laughs) He then attacks the other Autobots, but notably regrets what he is doing, saying, What have I done? Before then setting the auto-destruct sequence on this mausoleum tomb, muttering that he must complete the plan. He then departs and leaves the others stranded on board because he managed to create his own ship to escape on during everything that's happened, with the mausoleum now also Andy apparently being on a collision course with a red sun. Yep. After returning to Cybertron, this is where things get even more wacky, everyone, Optimus Prime has clearly arrived back and now informs the Autobots that Rodimus and the others were killed by the Quintessons in order to let him return to lead the Autobots. The situation surrounding their fallen comrades puts everyone in a pretty bad mood. Springer pretty much just swears vengeance, particularly for R.C., and Grimlock spends about at least, what, a minute just stamping around like an angry child at what's happened? Which, in and of itself, was a great moment. Optimus Prime reassumes command and orders an all-out attack on a Quintesson base. We then get a glimpse of the Quintessons having correctly predicted everyone's actions and reactions, which then prompts my favourite line of the episode, Andy, arguably, or one of them. A Quintesson saying, Might I propose anticipatory Snigger of Triumph? (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
1: i i i hope we get more and more of this as a recurring like quintess (laughs) on celebrations i'm 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 very much enjoying these as we go through season three
0: thus far so let's take a moment here andy because a heck of a lot has gone down so far in this episode as we've already touched on everything that's happening in this holy crap is just it's an easy way to sum it up what this is following, neither of us were expecting going in. It is mental almost how much PTSD is probably coming from this as well. And the fact that we even got to see brief mentions of other characters we're never going to see again as well. It's it's a really surreal episode. But one of the themes it's also playing on is something that we only got a glimpse of maybe once or twice during seasons one and two. And that was... What if Optimus Prime was a bad guy? We got little glimpses of it, like, the one time he was possessed and was destroying airplanes for, like, half an episode. And I guess technically when, like, Megatron was a, like, disguised himself as Optimus Prime for a little bit. And we had, like, I think it was the Prime Problem episode, if I remember correctly. Mm. That's probably the only instances where we got to see, perhaps, inklings of what might it be like if Prime wasn't good and we're getting to see that again, and as we'll get on to, there is going to be some more of that as well. But so far, this episode is utterly mental, and I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely like, uh, like I say, I'd, I'd love to have, to be able
1: to go back and show this to my kids self to see... Because I would either have loved this, or like, it's been weirdly terrified by it, I think. Because like, it's, like we said, it has these horror movie vibes, and it's just like, I mean... Transformers the movie and Optimus Prime's death is kind of like upsetting in a very sort of direct way. This is far more kind of traumatic in terms of like, you know, this resurrected corpse of Optimus Prime uh, who, you know, then goes and basically tries to kill a bunch of Autobots and is now... Like, this is kind of far more sort of malevolent than the sort of like, quote-unquote, evil Primes we've had in Seasons 1 and 2 because it's not just like out of control like oh god he's powerful and it's not somebody else pretending to be him like this is actual Optimus Prime doing something at least partially against his will it seems at this point like you know there's a clear indicator that he's not entirely in control of his own faculties but he's also has enough kind of control and commands to basically get the Autobots to do whatever he asks them to. And it's this really kind of like worryingly sort of malicious, you know, return of just like, wait, what's the end game here? Especially when he comes in, but like, let's attack the Quintessons because it's like, okay, that actually seems like potentially an Optimus Prime thing to do. But then you get to this point where you realize like the Quintessons seem happy about what's happening here. Okay. And it starts to piece together sort of what's going on. Um, and it's like, you know, as much as I'm, I'm maybe already a little bit bored of the, like, the Quintessons being, like, the big bads here because it's not quite the same as your, like, traditional, like, you know, Decepticons or, like, you know, Galvatron being the bad guy, but it's a really interesting configuration of elements and it's, it's one of the few moments I feel like where this series reaches a like, I'm not sure what the way out is for this because it's, like, you've got, like, reanimated Optimus Prime, You've got, you know, Rodimus Prime now, no longer Rodimus Prime. Like, what's the end game of this? Where, Where is the world state going to end up by the end of this episode? Because it's, you know, there's a lot happening here and it's all big and important stuff. So it's kind of like pretty compelling at this point of just like, I need to see where this goes.
0: Yeah, and a, and a couple of things just to touch on what you said. The fact that we don't see the Quintessons until that little scene where it implies they have something to do with it, it was a really nice reveal as well. Because at that point, adding to this whole mystery and intrigue thing that I've mentioned far too many times at this point, it just, it was that little moment of, ah, it makes sense and damn them in a way. It was almost like a perfect reveal the way they did that.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, because when you actually sit down and think about it, you're like, well, of course, like, we know this isn't going to be a Decepticon thing, necessarily, so of course it would be the Quintessons, but, again, because of the, the, the world state in this season, where, you know, it's not always the Decepticon's fault for everything, yeah, it, it does kind of give you that doubt of, like, well, what's actually happening here, like, you know, and... Because it's, it sort of comes out of left field, there's not an obvious trail of like, okay, yeah, I, you know, there are episodes of this of this cartoon where you know who's doing what and why from minute one. And I do like how season three keeps up a theme of not showing its hands too early and kind of letting you stew
0: in it for a little bit before anything gets revealed. From here, Hot Rod and Co. managed to escape aboard their own makeshift ship, which Andy, I won't lie, I wasn't surprised they made this quickly because if there's one thing that's been established in Transformers lore, is that Transformers can build things really flipping quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's
1: sort of, it, it almost felt like they should have found a way to, like, shoehorn Retgar into this to make it even more believable, but yeah, <laughs> sure. it's uh, it, they, they do seem pretty good at the old,
0: the old engineering. And they're able to escape literally moments before the big mausoleum ship plunges into a star and explodes. Now, I want to highlight that, Andy, because literally after seeing the Autobots that were mentioned inside, like Ratchet, Prowl, Ironhide, Huffer, not only have we seen these Autobots effectively die once, we've now seen whatever remains of them literally explode. Yeah, yeah, and and especially I mean it's sort of if you if you think about it too hard, like you know
1: we've also had the end of the movie where it's like Optimus Prime will return promise, which yep. well they've made good on that promise I guess. Yeah, do you um, know what?
0: That was what I was going to mention a minute ago, but I'll let you finish your thought before I say that.
1: Yeah, because it's like again, I mean, imagine yeah, like again, I would love to have made a child me sit and watch this where you've had the promise like, hey, Optimus Prime is coming back, and like guess what? Optimus Prime is back. Oh, but he's a shambling zombie that's trying to kill everyone. It's like. Okay. <laughs> um but like even beyond that, like, you know, there's maybe a promise there of like, okay, well I guess maybe the other Transformers that I liked that you murdered are gonna come back too. And this episode is just like, Nope, been blasted into the sun. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, cool. Alright, we're fine. I I guess I, I guess I didn't like Ratchet that much anyway, <laughs> and Prowl and and well, Huffer, fine, whatever. Um, I hide. And yeah, yeah, and Ironhide. I mean, that's the thing. Not even kind of, you know, sort of lower tier. You know, if it had been Windcharger, maybe you'd be like, oh, well, you know, but yeah, like Ironhide, you just blew up Ironhide's body.
0: Fine, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's... It really is mental. It, this is literally the way of going, they're not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. ever wanted it really dealt like that. But the thing about... Like the sort of, like you mentioned the post movie thing of Optimus Prime will return, which we discussed on our Transformers the Movie podcast. Let's call it like it is, Andy. We know there is a two part story at the end of season three, outright called the Return of Optimus Prime. I, it, I do genuinely do not recall this episode at all. I know we're only about halfway through it at this point, but just in general, no one mentions this story. Just anecdotally, like, oh, you know, Prime's back at, like, the end of season three. It's like, there's another episode in this as well that's part of the mix here. No one ever yeah. mentions it. And this stealth way of just throwing him back in your face, it's genuinely fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I do find it weird that I hadn't, like, you know, heard about this episode. Or maybe I, I hadn't and just forgotten about it. But it certainly it's not really talked about that I could recall all that much. Um, And I know, like, I think this was on, like, some of the VHS releases, but, like, just not one that I ever saw around. Um, But, yeah, like, and, and again, it's sort of, you know, we have that prior knowledge and maybe, like, you know, had this cartoon aired in the era of the internet, maybe the episode titles would have leaked and people would have just been like, oh, okay, well, that's not, you know this isn't actually the return of optimus prime because we know that there's these episodes and you can see i mean again this is where we are going to end up like deviating from clearly like the tv broadcast order uh where they they i guess quite smartly realized that they couldn't leave people hanging too long after this episode yeah. Return of Optimus Prime takes place directly after this perhaps to assuage kids who have not only having PTSD of like what they saw a year ago but have now had a whole new set of trauma like bolted on top of that of
0: watching zombie Optimus Prime <laughs> I mean a bunch of do people. you know what Andy? I, I feel the need to say this, I'm just on the TF wiki now do you want to know when this, the, air, the air date of this episode was? Was, was it, was it December the
1: 25th? Because... <laughs> Happy Christmas, kids.
0: Now, according to this, October the 1st, 1986, barely okay. a couple of months after the film in cinema. Yeah, so... The, you, you, you're, you,
1: like, as a parent, your kid that probably locked himself in his bedroom for the last two months, you finally coaxed him out of being like, no, there's more Transformers, and they said Optimus Prime will Return. Come down and watch your cartoons and have your tea... It'll be, it'll be good. You'll get, you'll, you'll get to enjoy Transformers again. This might be the one where Optimus Prime comes back and you just imagine, (laughs) just imagine two months later finally, you know, the fog has lifted. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll watch Transformers again. And then you get this episode and the trauma
0: is relived
1: and then some.
0: Oh my word. So, Hot Rod and Co. That's where we got to, sorry. So, they managed to escape the mausoleum with the remnants of our favorite G1s, people that were mentioned, gone forever. They return to Cybertron, narrowly missing the Dinobots Sludge and Snarl upon crash landing. Literally just missing them. It was quite impressive. RC then says, Sludge and Snarl, we are so glad to see you. Sludge responds with, Me Sludge not glad to see you. Snell saying, "You, you are all dead," <laughs> and Sludge going, "Maybe we dead." <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that line, I love that line. <laughs> it's just oh, yeah, good, good, good old Dinobots. So it turns out that most of the Autobots have left to attack the Quintessons. Of course, at this point, even more suspicions are being raised. At this point, we then cut to the Autobot fleet being led by Prime with Perceptor by his side on the bridge. They are approaching a planet which Prime says is the Quintesson's new base. We get the following dialogue exchange. Perceptor says, We'll send out patrols. But Prime responds with, And lose the element of surprise? I am in command here, Perceptor. Perceptor then responds with, Of course, Prime. But... Then Blur interrupts and says, in a very, very quick way as only Blur can, that they have received a message saying that Rodimus and Co. have survived and that they are on their way to join the fleet. When Prime then says, a cunning Quintesson trick, a fake message, but it won't help them now. Full speed ahead. The Quintessons are enjoying what they are seeing, especially as the planet that they're heading to, turns out from them saying it, is a decoy. And also to make mention of the fact that they say Optimus still doesn't know what is happening to him. We then see the Autobot fleet get bombarded with missiles and such. There are just planes and ships being destroyed, all sorts. Flip knows who else died in this flipping onslaught. Hot Rod and co. arrive to find the Autobot fleet pretty much decimated by the Quintesson missile fire. They're frantically trying to call the head ship with Optimus Prime to try and stop the attack and such, but nothing is being responded to. Despite him clearly fighting the urge to do what he is doing and the Matrix having some kind of reaction to it as well, Optimus Prime is still doing What no one really can figure out is actually going on with him doing, if that makes sense. This is when Optimus Prime issues the order to destroy the incoming ship, which has Hot Rod and Co. on it. And per his orders, it gets destroyed and everyone inside is able to escape. Perceptor, though, is on another part of the ship and conveniently Andy has to go into telescope mode to look through a telescope, which I found quite amusing in and of itself and then, sorry, microscope mode, I should have said it's telescope mode, Uh, and then actually has them rescued. Hot Rod and the others are now finally on board the lead flagship of this fleet, and the former Rodimus goes optimus hunting, quote-unquote, after his, let's just call it a zombified mentor, Andy, I think that's fair to say at this point, when the two meet... Optimus Prime is clearly concerned for his comrades before his mind is overpowered once again. Fighting against both Hot Rod and himself, Optimus Prime has a flashback moment, if you will, to his own reanimation at the hands of the Quintessons, who stole his corpse, reanimated it with their own evil programming, all of this to lead the Autobots into a trap. Optimus is nothing more than a As the Quintessons put it, quote-unquote, robotic zombie combined with lingering remnants of his personality and memories. Then the fighting starts. Hot Rod says, I don't want to fight you. And Optimus, clearly in pain, just says, then stop me! Hot Rod responds with, what? What do I do? And Optimus just shouts, please, Rodimus! Andy, at this point, this is just, it just keeps ramping up here, what is going on. The quintessential flashback to what they did to Prime, any way that they could twist the knife even more into you over all the emotions they have got you in following the movie and everything that's happened since, they are doing a grand old job of this right now, it's got to be said. Yeah, and I, I feel like the culmination is, like, and, and it's a really good,
1: like, Peter Cullen voice work on his, like, pleas to Rodimus that are really, actually, genuinely quite kind of distressing because it's not, you know, he's not phoning that in, like, he's genuinely, like, begging, like, please, like, end this, you know, kill me. He's, you know, he... Uh, it's surprising given how dark, like, this season is that he doesn't, less, like, literally, like, say that in that moment. Um, but, yeah, like, it's... It, it's kind of is incredibly kind of like dark and pretty harrowing and you know and again you know like Optimus Prime like you know kids hero in this kind of state like is just kind of really rough and I mean pl- plus like you also get an extra like 2022 layer of him just being like oh it sounds like Rodimus is alive and he's just like basically like, ah fake news <laughs> they must be the bad news <laughs> it's a you know and it's like that that doesn't help either um but yeah like all of that and again you know you kind of see what's coming in this sort of like it's almost it's an interestingly like subtle thing because you know you you sort of see by the point hot rod kind of goes to face off against prime that he's sort of like started to realize like his own sort of like hang-ups about like being in charge and realizes that what once again he's caused Optimus Prime a bunch of pain, really, by kind of like you know, absorbing his own responsibilities, and that sort of you know that undercurrent as well, just alongside the whole like zombie thing, is actually like pretty pretty powerful as as
0: this series goes. It it really is just something to behold. I'm not trying to add more gravitas to this for the sake of it, but it's just again with the way that we have watched the whole series up to this point including the movie and the way things are built up and discovering things as we've gone along from both of our unique perspectives it's just the amount of gravity in this episode it's just in insanely mental i can't think of the right words to articulate it but it is mind-blowing in many ways yeah and it's also like this could have been a really sort of
1: tackily done episode like you know i mean as, as much as i make fun of like the, the, the trauma is probably giving a bunch of kids at this point like it is done with that gravitas it is done with uh, like a sort of a, a grown-up sensibility that sort of always treats its audience with respect like it's not just like zombie optimus prime isn't this fun like it's <laughs> genuinely going for the fact that like this is kind of torturous for prime to you know be made to do these things against his will that are sort of, you know, against his core beliefs. Um, You know, it's not just the, it's not just kind of a cheap sort of, you know, pound shop. Oh no, they made him shoot an Autobot. Like he's literally doing things that are completely against everything that he stands for. And then, you know, you've got the, the hot rod slash Rodimus prime angle of, you know, his own responsibilities and, you know, seeing what has become of sort of, you know, the, the leader that he idolized and it is all done with a real genuine care for those characters that I think you know deserve some appreciation because it's not just as simple as like you know Hot Rod defeats zombie Optimus Prime like it is it comes from a, a, a place of of deep sort of character engagement is again feels pretty unusual for a like a kids cartoon
0: in the in the 80s in particular continuing from where we left off hot rod puts up a brave fight in a moment of compassion trying to help optimus but hot rod is physically overcome by his mentor prime says that the matrix makes me too strong hot rod then retorts with now there's a unique complaint and then prime says If you lose, Autobot's all destroyed. Prime continues to overpower Hot Rod easily, but the influence of the Matrix allows Prime to overcome the Quintesson's programming. Hot Rod then eventually overpowers Optimus, kicking him in the shin, which I felt was quite amusing in some ways, because of all the things it could have been. Sure, why not? Then throws him into a computer nearby. At this point, Andy, Prime's arm is detached! Just ripped off and you just see bits of circuits hanging. It's like, the heck? Can you dig this knife any further? How- yeah, just 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 just
1: throw a bit more body horror into this, just on top of everything else. Why why don't you? Oh man,
0: but Prime gets back up and then kicks Rod away and holds the, the his blaster in Hot Rod's face, trying to resist killing him. Then says, till all are one drops the gun, and returns the Matrix to Hot Rod's chest cavity, restoring him to the status of Rodimus Prime. Optimus saying, monsters. They made me a weapon to destroy the very ones I loved in life. But you will save them, Rodimus Prime. As Optimus Prime takes his leave, the other Autobots find the quite simply battered Rodimus at this point, and obviously they're all equally battered as well but the ship is being evacuated they haven't got time to go and find prime which at this point andy you might be inclined to think they're like look that ain't prime we're getting out of here yeah yeah for sure optimus prime then takes control of the ship saying the following optimus prime to autobot fleet return to cybertron that is my final command As the stunned quintessons watch on they see the autobot fleet escaping optimus's final act as mentioned is to pilot this autobot flagship into the trigger zone for the quintessons trap ensuring the safety of the retreating autobot ships and crafts closing the distance piloting the command ship Optimus Prime suffers horrendous damage, to say the least, because of the Quintesson's bombardment with just a relentless flurry of missile fire and explosions. We see bits of Prime's face starting to fall off and cave in. He loses an eye shield. It's just, what else can you do at this point? Like, can you really reinforce this any further? The answer, everyone, is yes. Yes, they can. Because even with everything that happens here, everyone kind of gets to a safe distance away and we just see a visual of Optimus Prime. What's left of him at this point, has got to be said. Battle damage to hell. And he simply says, till all are one. And then we see a massive explosion. And that is the end, again, of Optimus Prime. And as Cup bids his old friend farewell and the Autobots mourn the loss of their leader for a second time, Magnus remarks that the Nova that they see before them will be in Opt- will be Optimus' memorial. And Rodimus then says, I don't know if I'll ever be the leader you were, but for sure, I'm gonna try. And Andy... It's really weird to think about it because I mentioned from my perspective of watching Transformers the movie when we talked about it in the podcast that I kind of had this impression and didn't really appreciate it until we've been doing this podcast that I thought Hot Rod and RC and everyone were introduced through season two so it really caught me off guard and for that to be Hot Rod's introduction in the movie where he is the reason, ultimately, that Optimus is killed. Let's call it like it is. He is a big reason for it. For this to somehow work out as being a redemption story for Hot Rod and actually put him in an incredibly good light, as though he's actually learned something from this, it's actually a fantastic bit of storytelling, as horrifying as it is in many ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is like, you know, it's it's insane on multiple levels, like, how how this episode operates. And again, I mean, I think I kind of said, you know, during the Five Faces of Darkness stuff that, you know, I was kind of used to a lot of these plot lines from the comics, which did a lot of similar things with with Hot Rod slash Rodimus and Galvatron. And I always sort of assumed that, that stuff was mostly compartmentalised as a comic thing because that always had more grown-up themes and it always kind of tackled its characters with a a bit more of this sort of, you know, gravitas. And again, like I say, I was no stranger to Optimus Prime dying because he did that quite a lot in the comics. Um, But yeah, like, I, I was really surprised to see this kind of tackle those similar kind of themes in this way. Um... And yeah, like, I mean, this for me is way more harrowing than Transformers the movie. Like, it kind of, you know, because of the way it lingers on a lot of that stuff. Because, you know, Optimus Prime's death scene, you know, is, it, it, you know, is it, like a focal point of that film. But you pretty quickly get back onto, like, cool, look, let's see, let's watch the Transformers fighting. Let's get back to the action. Whereas this is just so singularly focused on Optimus and Rodimus and kind of like, you know, their... They're, both of their sort of, you know, influences upon each other and the whole kind of dynamic and, you know, all of that stuff. And yeah, like it's really pretty powerful. Um and it's kind of like again, which is why I'm so surprised that I've not heard more about this episode, because it's kind of it's kind of a standout to me in terms of what it does. And like I say, it could so easily have been a cheesy, like, you know, zombie Optimus episode that that has like a happy end, you know, because you could have a happy ending that is just like, oh, Optimus Prime gets laid to rest in the tomb again, he's still dead, that's sad, but you know it's fine we've got this place where we can you know remember him but no just like everything gets kind of destroyed in this at the end um until you get the narrator voice in tune in tomorrow uh which is like you know if, if you if you're somehow still like cogent and able as a as a kid to watch tomorrow's episode of transformers it might 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 get better for you um but yeah it, it, it's, a, it's it's a mad episode but I'm so, so happy that it exists because it is really fascinating and goes places and does things that... I can't really think of many other pieces of, like, kids' media, certainly in terms of, like, cartoon media that that, that does this. Like, you know, I can think back to my childhood of, like, there were some of the, like, uh, ironically, some of the Charlie Brown movies of all things that kind of dealt with some quite interesting issues in interesting ways, but, like, this was, like, so brutal and to the point in terms of how it did it all, that it's kind of mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, I I, I will just go out on a limb and just say, this episode is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. So, you mentioned something there, and I'm going to sort of pivot into some trivia notes, because this will touch on the final part of the version of the episode that we watched on Hasbro Pulse. So, to set the scene, everybody, the episode concludes with our deep voice narrator who we've come to know and love, saying, after what we've just seen and Rodimus' closing line, but is this really the end of Optimus Prime? Find out in tomorrow's exciting episode, The Return of Optimus Prime. Now, first of all, I think you've just given it away by the way you said it, but that aside, let me read the following note from the TF wiki. This episode originally aired early in season three but was strategically re-aired in February 1987 to promote the broadcast of The Return of Optimus Prime. The rerun featured a new closing narration from Victor Caroli, who I don't think we've actually ever said by name, Andy, so there we go. That's yeah, the yeah I, I could never I could never remember his name, but yeah. <laughs> glad we finally name-checked him, because he deserves it. Adding what I just said, Caroli's line replaced the original final line of the episode delivered by Rodimus, which was simply, quote-unquote, So Long, Prime. The original version was released on on VHS by Kid Rhino, but when the company released the episode on DVD, the altered ending was the only one included. Observing the frustration this caused among American fans, DVD consultant Chris McFeely helped ensure the restoration of the original ending for the Metrodome DVD releases of the episode, with the alternate ending as an Easter egg the original ending is also the version featured on the shout factory dvd sets but when hasbro put up the episodes on youtube in 2021 the version we are watching only the altered version was used so there's some interesting notes there and it also makes a lot more sense now as to why why is this episode eight when it says tomorrow and the return of optimus prime is like episodes 29 and 30. so that makes a lot more sense yeah, but but also
1: even more harrowing for the the, the children of like late 1986. <laughs> True, who have don't don't even get that kind of you know. Although mind you, I think you know, given that the movie promised Optimus Prime will return, then you get this. Because uh, yeah, I mean, just imagine thinking. Maybe that was what they meant. Maybe this was, like, the Optimus Prime will return that they promised, and that's it. Can you I mean, imagine? My God, yeah. Like, but it's in the same way, like, uh, on, on the flip side of that, of promising, like, come back tomorrow for the return of Optimus Prime, like, oh, God, what are they going to do with him now? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> what 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 are they going to make him do next? Like, are they... Uh, I mean, the only thing they could have done to make this kind of worse was to to have, like, aped the end of Transformers the movie and had, like, Optimus Prime's head just start, like, orbiting Cybertron. (laughs) Just like, there you go.
0: Um,
1: But, man, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of the timeline, but somehow, yeah, that just makes it even more shocking how this episode pans out and
0: ends. Yeah, and do you know what? I think that's the only note I'm going to read, because there isn't anything else major from what I can see there, but I felt that was the most prevalent one that we should touch on. So, Andy, we both already said it, that, that was something else to behold, and the fact that neither of us expected it going in, I think has also actually made it extra special for us actually being able to discuss it today. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really is kind of
1: quite a quite an astounding thing. And it's it's the thing, you know, and it does lean into what I've appreciated about this season, which like a much like season two, you know, I, I kind of heard mostly people talking about the negatives of it. And I feel like season three, similarly, you know, people talk about the bad animation quality and all the animation errors. And they talk about some of the really bad episodes. Um, And people have kind of buried the lead and kind of hidden the fact that there are actually some little gems of episodes here. Like, you know, kill, Killing Jar is i think a pretty good episode and this is kind of an incredible episode in a lot of ways um and it stuff like this has made me way more like excited for our watching of the rest of this season although i've I've already seen like the titular episode for this of this podcast that we'll talk about next week and that's a, a very different ride um but yeah, like I'm kind of excited to, to run through the rest of this season. But I, I do worry we've kind of like hit a high point here and it's going to be difficult for it to
0: like replicate anything like this again. Yeah, I have got that concern as well. But I think there's also an element where, in a weird way, because we're closing out this podcast with this episode, this particular podcast, I should say, with this episode, I think that's going to allow us a little bit of a break to be able to be, okay, take stock in what the heck we've just seen. And now let's move on and see what else is to come. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I think ironically, actually, this changing configuration also works quite well because I think like our next couple of episodes are sort of a stealth two-parter as well. Okay. So I think actually, like maybe maybe we have fortuitously stumbled upon a slightly more optimal way. With 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 all jokes included, um, of of watching this
0: this uh, this season. <laughs> so, what is coming up next time, everybody? Well, as we just said, we're going to be coming covering three episodes. That being episodes nine, ten, and eleven of season three, which have the following titles. You mentioned it, Andy, but our uh, our namesake podcast. We finally got there. Starscream's Ghost will be the first one. Then we have. Thief in the Night and Forever is a Long Time Coming. I, I can only imagine what some of these might be about, but uh, suffice to say, I am very excited for Starscream's Ghost, the episode. We've been building up to this since we started this podcast. I... The name implies something. I I know you said you've seen it already, so you're probably going to try not to spoil it for me. I genuinely don't know how this episode is going to work, but I'm very excited to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you think of it after after watching it. I've also just realised from that, actually, that the the two part is actually not because again the broadcast order is kind of weird there um because there's uh, so so yeah so so there is there is more to discuss around that as well um but uh but yeah i i'm i'm interested to hear what you
0: what you make of, of Star Scream's goes so that will be coming up next time everyone and speaking of next time might as well make a quick mention of it that we'll be back as things stand in a fortnight's time unless schedules get a lot smoother as it were and we can bring it sooner otherwise assume our next podcast will be in a fortnight if you want to reach out to us on twitter and instagram you can find us at starscreams pod if you want to drop us an email you can you can do so on starscreams ghost pod at gmail.com andy before we sign out for this edition of the podcast any additional notes you may have made or made note of while, while watching these episodes any other random tidbits you've got anything at all
1: no, I, I think I'm ready to, to go to bed and have nightmares of Optimus Prime's face falling off. So, <laughs> like, like, like many children of, 19, of October 1986, I, I suspect. Well, what
0: better way to round off your week than that, everyone. <laughs> As it <were>. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening and or watching, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, we have been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, signing out. Bye, everyone.